In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malan and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone, without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited for their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the women asked? Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the un-Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, 19 through 22. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Friends Church on this Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we are glad that you've chosen to worship with us. I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And certainly uh, we take time and remember those who gave their lives uh, for us so that we could worship freely here today. And we are very grateful for that opportunity. And I hope you take advantage of that opportunity and the opportunity to remember this weekend. I know it's already been a, a full weekend for Sheila and I. Uh, it's been an exciting weekend, a Friday night, a cross-cultural weekend. Friday night, we were involved in a, in a banquet with our uh, uh, Spanish-speaking friends in Painesville with Alan Brown, a banquet, and it was a great, exciting night to be together and to spend time with them. Yesterday, I took part down in, outside of Columbus in Reynoldsburg, a two-and-a-half-hour wedding. Yeah, a two-and-a-half-hour wedding with our Bhutanese Nepalese friends and the church that we help plants down there and that we are supporting on a monthly basis. God's doing great things. And, but I tell you what, it really feels strange to be up here without an interpreter by my side. <laughs> so uh, Pastor Eric, how's your German? <laughs> Not good? So yeah, German major, I thought you would be right up here. In a long time. Long time, okay. So we're going to try to communicate in English. Hopefully that's what you're going to hear today as we dive right into Naomi the Stranger. But first, just a couple things. Um, 
Next weekend, we are going to have with us dear friends of mine, Abe and Diane Bible. They are friends missionaries. They've been uh, working uh, for 50 years in ministry. And believe it or not, I have probably known them for all of that 50 years. Now, I was 10 when that started, so I don't remember a lot of that. But they've been great friends. They've been great missionaries uh, working behind the Iron Curtain uh, in those days and have been working in Ukraine and Russia uh, and they're going to be here. Not going to share a lot in the morning, but during the week, you see those announcements that are in the program. Saturday, men. Abe teaches uh, harvest evangelism throughout the world. He does, and that's how he develops men who go out and start churches in Russia and lead men to Christ. He's going to spend a morning sharing with us. Uh, so men, come and learn how to share and lead your male friends to the Lord. And then Sunday night, uh, 5.30, we're going to have just an informal, it's a meal, it's a celebration of their 50 years. And it's going to be a soppy joe, you know, those, that type of casual, but more just to hear from Abe and hear what he's been doing. And uh, just, uh, he's a great man of God, and so is Diane, who grew up in my home church, his wife. And so it's been a, it's, I'm looking forward to that. So I encourage you to do that. Be there also, there's a table out for our summer group life, and I encourage you to stop out there and check it out. Maybe there's something you're interested in, a financial peace or a class or a community group. Uh, all those are available to us this summer on a scaled down basis, but they're still available. So I encourage you to do that. But today, as you can see, and as you heard the story, we are talking about and reflecting on Naomi in And the Stranger. Uh, Naomi, the story, of course, comes from the book of Ruth which some people say was the most beautiful short story ever written. And so we see this story of a family who grew up in the first verse, tells us, in the period of the judges. And last week, Pastor Eric talked about this period of the judges. The book of Judges actually ends with the verse that says that in that day there was no king in Israel, and so everybody did as they saw fit. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the wild, wild west. <laughs> Anything goes, a free for all. And that's a little bit of what it was like. And so, and so we see in this period of the judges, we find this story of a family. And the family consists of a couple and their two sons. The couple was Elimelech and Naomi and their sons Malin, or in the English pronunciation, Malin and Kilion. And they are in Bethlehem, their hometown, but Bethlehem is, maybe you know, the, the, the basket, the bread basket, uh, name means bread, was in the midst of a famine. And so the family decides to pack up and to move. And they pack up and they head up, would have headed up those few miles from, from um, Bethlehem to Jerusalem, which is up about 2,300, 2,400 uh, feet above sea level. And then they would have headed down through the valley all the way to Jericho and down to the Jordan River. Drops to 1,400 feet, 13, 1,400 feet below sea level. But just a year and a half ago, we were on that journey back and forth a couple times. An amazing journey to be on that road from Jerusalem down to the Jordan River, down to the Dead Sea and realize and think about the people who have traveled that road before. And so, and so they're traveling this road, and they would have gotten down to the Jordan River. They would have crossed it, and then they would have hung a right or headed south into the land of Moab, 
Obviously, Moab must have been a place where they could have refuge, where they could go and find food. And so they go there. But they go there again, as we've seen throughout our scriptures, throughout this passage or this study we've been doing through God as stranger, is that so many times God's people end up being aliens, strangers, refugees. The words used here to describe we are going to live is, is not a permanent thing. It's a, it's a we are going to take refuge. We're going to be a resident alien. We're going to get the, be there until the time has passed that we can return home. And that's what this family is doing. So they make this journey. And then we find out in verse 3 that some point along the line, Elimelech dies. Leaving Naomi as a widow with two sons. But then at some point after that, we're also told that they want to add, they add to the family, Malin and Kideon, they go out and they marry some Moabite women. And Malin marries Ruth and Kideon marries Orpah. And things seem to be going along okay until death strikes again. The Bible tells us a period of about 10 years later that Malin and Kilion die, leaving all three ladies as widows. And this all takes place in the first five verses of this story. So things are moving pretty quick, pretty fast, and a lot is happening. And then we see in the story that God brings an end to the famine. And they hear about that the Lord has, has blessed the land, and they all three start to head home. But as they start to head home, and maybe not even too far out of where they had been, Naomi starts to think about it and thinks, I'm not sure this is the greatest idea. And he turns to the women and he says, she says, you know, what you're going to face when you get back is going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. He said, there's not going to be anybody for you to marry. You're going to have to take care of me. We don't have anybody to take care of us. What are we going to do? What you really ought to do is go home to your mother's. Let your mothers take care of you. Find a, find a spouse. And, and, and that, that sounds like a good idea. And there was, there was some discussion back and forth. And there was weeping. And, and finally Orpah says, okay, I will go home. And she heads home. But Ruth was having none of that. And in fact, in verse 16 of chapter 1, we read that famous verse that maybe you've heard. It says, Ruth says, don't ask me to leave and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. A classic, classic expression of devotion. But in the, in the Hebrew, it even, it even were, were, is more terse in its sounding. It really, in, when, when, when Naomi or Ruth is rejecting her own people, she's rejecting her own gods, and she says this, your people, my people. Your God, my God. And so they head home. She follows that up by, where you die, I will die. This is a lifelong. This is, like, we, like I said in the wedding yesterday, till death do us part. And so they head home. And it's just Naomi and Ruth. Mother, daughter-in-law, headed home. Dangerous trip. They finally make it. And the scripture tells us the whole town was excited. 
Now, the town of Bethlehem was not, a, it had been about the town, like the town I grew up when I, like three or two or three hundred people. So, we know we're not talking the Willoughby or Cleveland here. We're talking probably a very, a small, we would consider a small town, but, but the, the, the wording here is actually, there was like a, a buzz in the city. And you, you heard Nikki read it. She says, they said, is this Naomi? But we really don't know if, she, they, if that's the way they said it. You know, a lot can be in tone. It could be, oh, is this Naomi? Is she really here? It could be, is that Naomi? <laughs> wow. That doesn't look like who I remembered. She looks like she's been through some rough times. You know, when you go to those class reunions, you hope you get, oh, is that you? Not the, is that you? <laughs> you know, you know what I mean here. Yeah, you, you get that feeling. You know? So this, is, that, is it Naomi? We don't know which it was. Is it Naomi or is that Naomi? But Naomi was not in the mood for pleasantries. Naomi was not in the mood for celebration. And she said what we heard in verse 20, don't call me Naomi. She responded, instead call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. Don't call me Naomi, which meant pleasant. Remember when God changed Jacob's name. There's something in a name. And this was very, the Jewish people knew this. And she says, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Bitter. Bitter. And then the blame game begins, which it sometimes does, doesn't it? When things aren't going our way, she says, the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. And she doesn't stop there. She goes on and says, I went away full, but the Lord's brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such great tragedy upon me? Bitter. Now, Based on our study over the last four weeks, I think this is week number five. It's hard to believe next week is six. We're halfway through. But based on our study so far, this is where I would expect God to show up. You know, God has not really shown up anywhere in here. Nowhere do we see God says, says to them, go to Moab. Nowhere does God say, marry these Moabite women. <laughs> Nowhere, nowhere does God said, Ruth, Naomi, head home, head home. Nowhere does God say. Certainly now God to Naomi in her time of crying out, her time of bitterness, this is the time where God should show up, right? God, turn up. Turn up like you did for Adam in his time of crisis. And Abraham when he needed to hear from you. Your time of Jacob when he was wrestling and facing, when he was trying to face his brother. Or the time of Gideon when he's scared at the bottom of the wine press hiding. Show up, God. This is the time. And we look and nothing happens. No instructions. No angel. No vision. Nothing. Nada. Zilch. <laughs> Nothing happens. God at this point is apparently more of a stranger to Naomi than he's been to the other characters that we've looked at, the other individuals, that God would show up and explain things and lead them and direct them, encourage them. But in this case, it's a stranger. In fact, 
can die in the book, God is Stranger, and subtitles this chapter, The God Who Doesn't Show Up at All. The God Who Doesn't Show Up at All. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe we can relate to thinking God is talking to everybody else or, or at least they tell me they are, but God isn't speaking to me. I think I'm left out of his plans. I don't know. God, what are you doing? There's a current author that's gotten to be pretty popular. His name is Bob Goff. And he's written some very interesting books. One's a bestseller, Love Does. And in that Love Does chapter, he's, he's got a or book, he's got a chapter called, I think it's uh, Hearing Aids. You know, kind of like sometimes we need hearing aids to hear. And he starts, he's, he's, in, he's, he's, he's fleshing out a little bit this, I'm not hearing from God. In fact, he, he says, he talks about li- living with some people or at least spending time with these people. They were surfer dudes in California who kept talking about how God was talking to them. He says, hey, dude, God told me this. Hey, well, dude, God told me this. And he, he goes, I figured God must use the word dude a lot or something, you know. And, and he's talking, he says, but God never spoke to me. He said, nothing. I was crying out for God to speak. Give me a whisper, God. Give me that still small voice. Give me a loud shout. I don't care. He says, it's not like I didn't ask to hear from God. He said, God, give me a, give me a, give me a paragraph, just a paragraph. Then he says, God, just give me a, a word. Give me a sentence. Give me a phrase. Give me a word. He finally says, Lord, just let me buy a vow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just want to buy a vow. I want something from you. Sometimes we're in that position, aren't we? I want to hear you, God, but I'm, I'm just not, mm, my hearing aid is not picking up anything. What's that like? Naomi and Ruth received no vision from God, no direction that we're told, but they need to figure it out. They need to live. They need to eat. And so they devise and talk and come up with a plan, and Ruth says, I'll tell you what, I'm, let me go out in the field, and you know what they drop behind, I will pick it up and you know, maybe get in the corners of the field where they... We're not supposed to harvest to provide for the poor. Maybe I can pick up something there. Naomi says, sounds like a good idea. We got to eat. So she sends her out. Verse, chapter 2, verse 3 says this. Ruth, Ruth goes out and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Don't you love those words, as it happened? (laughs) By coincidence, by the luck of the draw, her lucky day, she ends up in the field of Elimelech, a relative. The Bible goes on to say he was also a a man of well-standing. And we see events start to happen. Now, we don't have time to cover the rest of the book. We can just say this, that from this point on, a marvelous story unfolds. A story unfolds of, of, of a relationship between Ruth and Boaz. A relationship that Naomi encourages. 
and kind of leads and directs and strategizes and even, you know, you know like, like a mother-in-law will do, you know, hey, have you tried this with them? <laughs> you know, have you tried this with them? And, and the story goes on. There's some strange customs and different things. But in the end, in the end, strangely enough, it apparently Ruth asks Boaz to marry her. You know, kind of backwards, maybe the way we would think. And Boaz is honored. He is honored that she would ask, is honored that she wouldn't chase after the young men. And he says, I will, but I got some legal business to take care of to make sure that this is legal. I want it to be done right. I want it to be done properly. And so he goes off and finally comes back and they get married. And really fast forward, they have a baby. Take time to read Ruth if you haven't done it, the book of Ruth. Right after Judges, you'll find the book of Ruth, a great story. But they have the baby. We pick up the story then. So it starts to close in chapter 4, verse 14. It says, the women of the town. Now, remember what the women of the town said before? <laughs> is this Naomi? <laughs> or is this Naomi? They say this now, praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Says they named this baby Obed, which means servant of the Lord. And the story is coming to a close. But we never hear from God. We, we never hear God speak. We never see God say, Mary this person, Ruth, or marry this person, Boaz. God never intervenes. God never miraculously, in a way that is identifiable, supplies in the, as in a, an angel or a man. Nowhere does that happen. And so maybe we're tempted to ask like we do sometimes in our own life, where's God? Where's God? Chris Kendaya in the book, God is Stranger, he says this, perhaps asking where is God while looking at the book of Ruth is a little like a tourist wandering around Oxford looking for a university. Where is it? It's both nowhere and everywhere. I've been places like that where the, the town, the community has become the college town and, and we've, our son was several years at Duke and we go down there and in Durham, there would be Duke, but there's Duke and Duke and Duke and Duke everywhere and that's the way it is in Oxford. You walk in and, and you see the building, you say, well, where's this, where, this is a town, but where's the school? It's everywhere. It wasn't when I went to Malone. <laughs> Canton, Ohio. You were, you were supposed to be on campus you know, by 10 o'clock at night or something like that. We had curfews back then. And so we'd stand on the edge of campus and kind of go like this. Woo-hoo! <laughs> off, off campus, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's not that way. It's not that way. It's everywhere. And he says, and he says, when we look for God in Ruth, when we look for God in this book of Ruth and Naomi's life, he's, he appears nowhere, but he's, but he's everywhere. He's everywhere, he's anywhere, and he speaks to us in any way, in every way. 
I remember the first week we, we presented, started into this series that um, there was a, a video that Kendaya had used to trail or be a trailer for his book. And one of the trailers was, is, is think about this, think of our minds as a cup. And our minds can only contain so much of God, so much of the knowledge of God, so much of the understanding of God. And think of God as being Niagara Falls and sticking that in there. Where is God? God's everywhere. But we can only grasp a small piece. We can only, we can only see, and at times we say, Lord, show me the picture, show me everything. And, and he says, there is no way your mind can grasp my mind. No way your heart can grasp my heart. And so we get little bits of God and we cling to it. And sometimes it isn't what we expect. Sometimes God doesn't always do what he did in somebody else's life. Somebody, sometimes God doesn't speak to you the same way he speaks to somebody else. He did not speak in this book at all like he did to Abraham, like he did to Gideon. Where was God though? He was everywhere. He was everywhere. How does God speak to us? How does God speak to us? Does he not speak? I would say God speaks to us everywhere. One way he speaks to us, and it's a verse I learned when I was a young child out of the King James Version, Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, God who in sundry times and diverse manners has spake, spake to the fathers through the prophets. This is God, you know, what he's saying, God at various times and at various places used to speak through the prophets. Verse 2 says, but in these last days he has spoken to us through his son. God has spoken to us in his last days through his son, Jesus Christ. And we have these words written out of what Jesus has had to say to us. And it leads us and it guides us and it directs us. God speaks to us through his word. I think God speaks to us through a famine. Certainly he was speaking at times to the Israelite people through the circumstances around him, like famines, drawing them close to him. I think God speaks to us through a sunset, through a walk in the park. I think God speaks to us through people, I think, it was, I think it was God speaking to Naomi when Ruth spoke to her and says, oh, 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 I will never leave you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. That's God speaking. I think when Boaz spoke to, to Ruth and says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of Naomi. Don't worry. And then he spoke to servants and said, give them plenty. Make sure you, they, you leave plenty for them to pick up. I think that was God speaking to Naomi through Boaz. I think God is speaking to Naomi through these ladies in verse 14 of chapter 4. Praise the Lord who has provided you a redeemer. Do you thank God for the people in your life who speak truth? The people in your life who God uses to speak encouragement. The people in your life who point you to God. I think God speaks to us through people. I think God speaks to us through circumstances, coincidences. It just so happened. <laughs> just so happened I ended up in the field of Boaz. Does God speak to us through everyday actions? God is nowhere. God is everywhere. 
And he takes all these actions in our lives. God speaks to us through our dreams, our thoughts. It was said of the early Quakers that they would gather in meeting and they would wait and they would meditate. And they waited and they meditated for what was called the inner light. And what that was was the Holy Spirit speaking to them. So we don't move until we hear God. Now, I don't know too many reports from the early Quakers of voices coming from the rafters. <laughs> it's this inner light. It's God's Holy Spirit speaking to us. Jesus says, especially in John chapter 14, when I leave and I'm gone, I'm going to send one who will be with you, will be in you, who will lead you, who will direct you, who will comfort you. I believe God speaks to us through that. Even when we don't understand. Goff says in his, his book, he says, he says, I usually understand what God is doing best through the rearview mirror. <laughs> and many times, that's what we do. We understand God, sometimes years later. That's the way it was here in the book of Ruth. This book was actually written many, many years later. Because in chapter 4, verse 17, we actually get a rearview look at what went on. Look at this. The author says this, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David. The writer has the advantage to look in the rearview mirror and says, God was at work all along. God was at work to accomplish what he needed to accomplish. God was leading. God was directing. God was speaking. Even though we don't see it, God was behind the scenes the whole time. Kandiah says this, as he closes out this book a little bit in this chapter, he says, God may have been out of sight, but we were never out of mind. God does not need to turn up when he's been there all along. <laughs> I love that. The God who is everywhere, the God who is leading and directing, the God who is living in us in the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Are we listening? Is he speaking to us through our circumstances, through our friends, through his word. How is God leading and directing? He has not forsaken us. You know, I wish, sometimes I wish God would just say to me, uh, you know, I'm sure you have too, here's where you need to be. In fact, in five years, you're going to be here, okay? In 10 years, you're going to be here. And I've, I've always thought that. Wouldn't that be cool? But then I started looking at some of these stories that we've been studying. And I'm thinking, you know, when God told people what was going to happen, they kind of messed it up. They kind of messed it up. How does that work? How does that work? Abraham, you're going to have a kid. You're going to be a great nation. And he realizes, I'm old. God isn't coming through. I know what he said, so I better take care of this myself. <laughs> and he grabs him as his maidservant. And Ishmael comes along, a son who was not the promised son. Yeah. Rebecca, Jacob's mom, was told, you've got two nations in you. One's going to serve the other. And, 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 one's gonna, and, and, and that nation's going to serve the other, and, 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 and it's going to be wonderful. And she thinks as things go on, well, this isn't happening. It isn't happening. Maybe I better help my little son with the little deceit and lying and treachery. 
doesn't always work well. God went to Gideon. He says, Gideon, we can, we can beat these guys. I can beat these guys, but I don't need all your men. Just give me 300. And he says, I will deliver them. Gideon gets so confident after hearing a report, which Pastor Eric talked about last week. He gets so confident that he says, yes, this is going to happen. And so he gets a big head. <laughs> and he says, for God and for Gideon, let's do it. <laughs> When we know the plans, I think maybe we have a way to mess it up instead of just trusting, trusting that he's going to do it. God has been there all along. But I understand, sometimes we don't feel it. Something that's helped me down through the years is this little illustration. I call it the faith train. The faith train. And it's the fact that our, our faith and our feelings are important. In fact, this is the faith train. We, we have to have faith. We have to trust in the Lord. And we, and we, and we, we, we do this uh, living out our Christian life by faith. But our faith just isn't blind faith. Our faith is tied to facts. Our faith is tied to truth. Our faith is tied to a history that Jesus Christ came and he lived. We have recorded. We have eyewitnesses. It's, it's a fact what is, that, we, that we share and the fact that we preach. And yet we have faith that what Jesus Christ said is true. What's going to happen is going to happen. What happens in our lives. And so we have this faith and we have to have faith. But at the end of it, there's this, what we call the caboose, right? What's the purpose of a caboose? It's to look pretty. <laughs> it's to tell you it's just the, the train's over, right? Sometimes the feeling is not there. Sometimes the feeling doesn't even need to be there. This train can run without feeling. The, the train can, can run understanding that we may not feel like we're hearing from God. We may not feel God's presence at the time. We may not feel that he's doing anything in our lives and that we have any clue where we're going. But that doesn't change the facts and it doesn't change our faith. Don't let your feelings, don't let the fact that maybe you're feeling bitter because you haven't heard from God or that he, what he's done to you. Don't, don't, don't uh, let the fact that I haven't heard God, I, God, I just asked to buy a vow and I can't even get a vow out of you. Don't let that feeling of God being, being gone or being distant when he's been there all along. God is nowhere and everywhere. You can't pinpoint God, but he is all around and he's speaking to us. And so then it comes time to tune in our hearing aids a little bit. I love that, what the early Quakers, the Quakers would do. They would say, we're going to sit and we're going to listen and meditate until we hear. I've come to the conclusion that's the only way really to run a church. You don't move until you hear from God. You just sit and you listen. And you pray and you read and you study and you, you ask God to speak to us. And so this morning as the band just plays for just a minute, I'm going to invite you to practice a little bit in this reflecting and asking God to speak to you. God is at work. God is at work. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to act and to fulfill his good purpose. 
God's working in you. What's he doing? I don't know exactly what he's doing, but Paul says he's, he's doing it to fulfill his good purpose. Bob Goff, at the end of that chapter, hearing aids, he says this, in the end, what is God doing through us? Well, we get to be God's plan for the world by pointing people to him. And that's exactly what Naomi and Ruth did. If you read chapter 1 of Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus, you see some names that are familiar in that genealogy. You see Boaz. You see Ruth. You see Obed. All pointing to Jesus. I want to be pointing to Jesus. I want him to use me. And even though I may not think I'm hearing from God, let him speak to you this week. Listen for his voice. Listen to his voice. Get into his word. Listen to others. Let that inner light speak to you. Let's just take a moment. Just meditate. Ask God to speak in your life. Would you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. Lord, today, it is, I believe, our desire as individuals and as a church to hear from you. Lord, it's not like you haven't been speaking, and we thank you for your leading direction in our lives and for our church. And Lord, we acknowledge that we would not be where we are today if it had not been for your presence, your power. And yet, Lord, we believe you're calling us to new things, to fresh things, to experiencing you in powerful ways, Lord, that we can't even imagine today because our minds are so small. Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. Pour out your spirit, Lord, to lead and direct us. Lord, pour out your spirit in our church, in our community. And Father, may we adjust our hearing aids a little bit, attune to what you're doing. 
look for evidences all around us of your message to us. Give us wisdom. Give us faith. Lead and direct us each step of our way as we serve you this week, this month, this year, following a God who's all around us. Speak to us, Lord. We thank you for today. We thank you for this message. We thank you for your love for us. In that powerful, powerful name of Jesus we sang about, we give you honor and praise. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great weekend. Great week. See you next Sunday.